Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Svelte Radio. Today, we have yet another guest with us to talk about Svelte. But first, introductions. I'm Kevin. I run a site called the Svelte School, and I'm heavily involved in the Svelte community in general. And uh, I'm just a Svelte evangelist, I guess. I'm Anthony. I'm uh, the CTO of Bionk, and I'm also a Svelte maintainer. Uh, I'm Sean. I work as a senior developer advocate um, at AWS. This is probably my last time in that role, and I'll have a new role coming up uh, next time we do this recording, where hopefully, Ooh. I think, if I'm not mistaken, I'll be working on a production Svelte uh, project. So uh, more news to come. Exciting. Exciting. Yes. And uh, our guest today is uh, David Parker. He's a uh, software developer, I guess. Uh, maybe you can introduce yourself. Yeah, I'm David Parker. I normally go by Parker. And um, I am CTO at HobbyDB for my day job, um, where I do Angular, unfortunately. Um, but I spend a lot of my free time doing Svelte. And I run a site called listenaddict.com, uh, which I'll talk about a little bit later. And I'm making another project after that. So. So I'm just gonna I'm just gonna point out here that the the, the title developer, uh, you know, with a guy who has two side projects which are looking pretty decent, I'm gonna say entrepreneur. I think it's a good title. I would right. take that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So before we uh, get into the the meat of the discussion, I'll uh, I'll read some uh, sponsor spots. So the first sponsor spot is actually not a sponsor. It's just uh, some news about that. You can now support Svelte Radio directly, so you'll uh, get access to video versions of the podcast, or you'll be able to listen to the episodes a couple of days early, even unedited sometimes. So uh, head on over to svelteradio.com slash support, and you can read more about it there. Oh, and secondly, if you like the podcast, it would be awesome if you could leave a review on iTunes and subscribe. All right, and that's it for the Yay, sponsors. <laughs> <laughs> I always feel I, I don't know. It's it's like it's a great way to to support independent radio, I guess. And and this is this is kind of what we're doing. Yeah, yeah. I've, it's it's like uh, yeah, <laughs> it's easier than than hunting like sponsor like real sponsors, I suppose. But yeah, I guess you know after a while they'll sort of just appear out of the woodwork, really. So. Yeah, it's, that's um, true. but it's nice. To, I think I think being able to pay for something that has value, you know, um, and then having that sort of inside info or the sneak peek is really really valuable. So I think it's good. I think I like I like it. Yep. Well, we'll see how it goes. Do you run a Patreon as well? No. So I, I've I've actually looked at a couple of different solutions for this, and uh, Patreon was one of them. But there's there's like a lot of not being in the U.S. and having to handle like VAT is a real hassle. Um, Patreon does it for you, but the like the fees they take are ginormous. So I found uh, so, some other some other ways to to solve this. I think I'm currently going to use uh, Paddle. It's, it's it's like a they handle uh, digital products and uh, software pretty much. I draw the line. I draw the line at OnlyFans. I, I have a body for radio. <laughs> I have a comment to right. that, but I'm, I don't think it's appropriate for this audience, so I'll, I'll hold my tongue. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so so let's let's get into it. So so you're you said you were a an Angular developer on your on your day job. So how yes. how did you end up doing doing Ang- Angular? So uh, I'll just give you a super super fast short version of my history, real quick. Um, yep. I was in the military in the United States uh, from 2002 to 2006 as a de- Java developer. So I, I basically sat in front of a computer and coded for the military. It was very boring, but that really got I didn't me even know just, you could you could do that. Uh, you know, there's a lot of systems that you have to keep track of, like tracking people, personnel, I mean, make, training, makes sense, yeah, all the, all the things. But not very exciting. I don't like the corporate structure. But I got out. Uh, turned around and became a contractor, worked for them for three more years, making three times as much money because, you know, when you're in, you don't make any money. But that kind of, as Anthony alluded to before, kind of pushed me in that entrepreneurial direction, uh, doing the big 
corporate type thing. Uh, so then I went back to school, grad school, because I had free money for from the military and, and did entrepreneurship uh, and computer science. Um, there I met a coworker or a co-founder of my previous company called Uvise. Um, we were a Rails and AngularJS. And at the time, this was a little bit before React and all the, you know, jQuery is kind of just leaving popularity, even though it's still popular. Backbone was kind of plus or minus. I didn't really care for it um, at the time. So we chose to start our company uh, with AngularJS. And that's kind of where I got to start in Angular. We never really upgraded in that company to you know Angular 2.0 and thus forward what it's now and now is. And then moving on from there, that company was sold and spent some other time doing React and played around with Vue a little bit, um, played around with Django. Um, and then I joined the HobbyDB and they were already using Angular. So that's how I came to be my current role. Cool. So so, so what is HobbyDB? Is that it's like an e-commerce? Yeah, it's, it's a it's a e-commerce site where people can buy and sell anything that's collectible. So the little Pop Funko dolls, um, if you're familiar with right. those, I don't know how popular they are outside of the United States. They seem to be kind of trendy, and I'm I guess we are a marketplace for those. Is the the main thing and Hot Wheels, the little cars. Those are our two main. So this. This is called Hobby DB. That's 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 an interesting name because I really thought it was like a DB an alternative database system for development. It, yeah, I really I, I thought it was like a you know the name the name did not draw a picture of what the what the product is. It's interesting. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's a, um, they were, they were around for about three years before I joined the team, and then I took over as CTO there. And uh, the previous uh, uh, VP of Engineering and CTO was taking off. So I I'm still in a Fingers crossed. Do we will we ever have the time to upgrade off of their stack to you know Svelte or something different? But it seems like we're always it's chasing. Off, yeah. So I that's, guess it's often a push, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah and then do you I think, do you think people who work? Sorry, do you think people who work with you've got an appetite for something outside of Angular, or do you think they are kind of pretty happy with Angular and and? The dev team is definitely excited about other things. Um, it's kind of hard not to get them hyped off. They're very into Next.js, which is the React okay. um, super yeah. popular one, which is fair. Mm-hmm. Most of our development team is in South America, and you know, right. just making sure that their skills are up to date and in the quote, and think, po- yeah, popular realm. That's fair enough. Yeah, I mean, you can't blame us for that, really, can you? Space, but I. I I have turned them on to some Svelte things, um, so we're trying to get little internal tools here and there used too. So it's funny how, yeah, all you need is like a little a little way in, and then suddenly people kind of prefer writing this, and then suddenly everything becomes you know Svelte and and what you thought was right. That's happened in a couple of places I've worked at, and it's quite a nice feeling. It doesn't always work. It doesn't always work at all. I mean, there was a place I worked at which was Redux and Sagas and and React and. I tried. I started writing login screens and stuff for things in in Svelte, but it just didn't really catch on. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, sometimes people are are stuck in their ways. I, I think it's a particular challenge to CTOs because at some point your stack will be out of date, and then there's always a question of like, when do you rewrite um, to keep developers happy? Uh, well, at the same time, like rewriting just for the sake of rewriting has zero business value, <laughs> and like, how do you make that decision? So I, I don't. I haven't. Come across it yet? I think one of the roles of CTO is 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 that you don't you don't make the decision right. You 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 offer up alternatives. You advise. You know you provide benefits and and widen the landscape, but you don't necessarily push your team in a direction because really you know in the end it's up to the team who are actually doing. Especially as, as a, a CTO of a larger company, you are not developing yourself. You're kind of more um, providing a background for people who are developing uh, in your team. Right, so so you've uh, you've uh, found Svelte, and you've uh, fallen in love with. You know, I, I really have. Um, it's kind of funky because I, when I played with Vue, and when I did a lot of React, uh, a lot of React during contract time between uh, Uvis and HobbyDB. Um, I did I did that whole Redux saga <laughs> thing as well. Went down that rabbit hole. Um, <laughs> and uh, and I've played with you know hooks and you know newer things too, 
Um, but still, sometime, I think it was the last year, um, really early on. So pre-COVID days, I, I was watching Ridge talk about something and I don't remember what. And I was just like, that looks really cool. Um, and then when COVID started, I was stuck at home a lot more. So I was like, well, I want to make this product. And I really wanted to make it for myself. And you know what? I'm going to try to do, you know, Sapper with it and Svelte. And the nice thing is that I really, really like, probably more than anything almost, is the fact that you can literally go through the entire tutorial and all the documentation for Svelte in four hours. You know, you, yeah, you can go through absolutely. the entire thing and and you've done at least a little bit of everything. And no, you don't know it all, but you've tried it all and you can see how it works. That to me was the biggest selling point because I went through the whole documentation and I was like pre-sold because I didn't have to take a week to try to learn everything. Yeah, that's the same reason I'm here, right? That's the exact same reason. The tutorial, I'm very impatient. I, I You know, I get distracted easily, uh, whatever you want to call it, ADHD, you name it. But basically... Something needs to be quite terse and quick, and you know, learn it, and and it's and it's perfect. And Svelte is just like that. And I guess it's a good answer for people who who raise bug requests saying, "Why can't we add this API and this API and this API?" It's because that would that that length would grow, the length of time. So, what did you first build in Svelte? So, is Listen Addict the first kind of thing that you? Yes, it is actually. I kind of just went, you know, all the way down. So, um, quick breakdown of what Listen Addict is, just for. The listeners is it's basically a place where you can go subscribe to a person, kind of like you'd subscribe to a podcast. So if you really liked Kevin specifically, and he was on other podcasts, you'd subscribe to him, and you get notified every time he's on any different show, uh, or Anthony or Sean or whoever. Um, so that's versus just being subscribed to you know Cell Radio by itself. You you might subscribe to that too somewhere else, but on my site you would subscribe to a specific person. And yeah, so I, I, I wanted to do Svelte and I figured might as well, and this is a product for myself. I, I built it for me. You know, if I really MVP'd it, I would just build the back end and email myself when somebody knew it was on. But I was I wanted to build something fun in the front end. And I, it just kind of grew and grew and grew and became a little bit more than um, my MVP should have been. I, I had a lot it's of fun. How it goes. <laughs> I, I had a lot of fun with, you know, you know, Svelte. And I was like getting into animations and I'm not the best with animations and these kinds of things. And it made it really easy to do really silly things that I um, kept on pushing my MVP back for. (laughs) So kind of a double-edged sword there. (laughs) Kind of want to get it out there, but then you get stuck in all these nice features. Yeah, exactly. But it's the best kind of product, right? You built it for yourself. That's just essential. That's that's absolutely how to do it. I don't think I could build something that is just strictly market driven. I, I have to be able to build something for myself. My the next product I'm building is also for myself. So yeah. So 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 is it uh, just Svelte and Sapper all through, or do you, are you using some other so service? The, the back end, uh, the technical back end is all Rails. Um, it was just really easy for me to build an API for that. Um, I'm a big fan of Flutter. I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with Flutter. Um, yeah, I've heard of it, yeah. Um, so I've played a lot with that for mobile apps. And it it's, it's, brings a lot of joy, kind of like Svelte does for me for the web. So I wanted to build my back end and what I am super familiar with so that I can build fast. Um, so all the back end is at all rails. I would love to eventually learn Golang or something else and replace it, but it's not that important. And then the front end is just all Svelte and Sapper. Um, and are, there, are there any challenges integrating Svelte with Rails? Um, I, I think you have to use something like a Webpacker with Rails. I, um, I don't know Rails that well. <laughs> sep- I, I decided to make it separate applications entirely. So the Rails backend is purely an API. So you hit a web request and it returns some JSON and that's it. That way I could keep it completely separate for the Flutter app that I eventually plan on doing. And that's why I, did, I, did, I wanted them to be completely separate. Mm. But yes, you're correct in that if you were to do it from scratch in one application, so it's all Rails with Sapper, with Svelte, or whatever, it would use Webpacker or something like that. I wonder if there's like a roll-up. It's complicated. Uh, that's a yeah, it's, 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 way more, it's way more complicated. I love having it separate. It makes it so fast. Yeah. Yeah. APIs are like the native, you know, foreign function interface of the web. Uh, it's 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 so it's interesting talking about Flutter, right? Like uh, I've messed around a little bit with it. Flutter has a web equivalent. Uh, why not build the whole thing in Flutter, or build the whole thing in Svelte and Svelte native? 
<laughs> so I'll answer that two ways. One, when I was really getting in Flutter um, two years ago, uh, was when I was really getting into Flutter, they Flutter Web was not ready. And from what I've read, it still might be ready. Question mark. Um, in that certain things, you can't, like, you couldn't even like copy and paste uh, text and things like that um, because oh, of the way Flutter bad. works. So Flutter Web was just not ready when I looked at it. So Flutter Web does does that work the same way that Flutter works on on mobile? Like it has its own canvas and renders the, stuff the, on on it. At the time, it did. I'm not sure now because I haven't looked since. To be honest, a couple right. of years ago. Yeah. Um, and then same thing with Felt Native. I honestly haven't even tried it yet. Yeah, so, I, th- I, so I can't speak so to I, that. So I've actually so this is some some news for for an upcoming episode. I've, I've talked to a guy who's made some Felt Native applications, and uh, he's going to come found on one. in a couple of episodes <laughs> to talk about it with us. So that's that's nice. Uh, That'll so be nice. If you're interested I'll in that, li- I'll definitely listen to that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So will it, I, it is again. it is one of those things. I actually spend a lot of time uh, kind of advocating for this sort of separation between front end and back end. So you're you have the choice of technologies uh, when you're building different clients. So you're you're kind of living that right now. <laughs> I, I definitely agree with that, and I, I hate the whole. You know, I have a hammer and everything is a nail, and I feel like I find that so much in especially in JavaScript land. People want to apply it to everything, and um, I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with Jeff Atwood, but he has a Atwood's Law, which anything that's written in code will eventually be written in JavaScript or something along those lines. Uh, and he he published that like 15 years sounds, ago or something like that. Sounds familiar. <laughs> um, so I, I I always think you know why not use the best tool for the job, and that's why I didn't use just Express uh, with Sapper to build my API. It's why I didn't use Rails with Webpacker. Uh, I think that Rails as an API, I can get things done incredibly fast. Front end, just sticking it with uh, Sapper and Svelte and Tailwind, I'm doing things way faster than I would trying to in- implement Rails with it. And, and when I played with Flutter a couple of years ago, um, it was fast to implement things. And I can't say that I won't check out Svelte native because I'm definitely excited about new technologies, but I don't want to do the hammer thing and make everything a nail. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Yeah, makes sense. Okay, so you've also got this this uh, other thing that you you're working on, right? I saw I saw a comment on Hacker News, so this is actually how I I found you. I think you're you're doing something called Use Producer. Is that, was, is that correct? Yeah, use so producer.com of course is taken because that's. Probably expensive, oh, owned by somebody. So high value domain. Right? High value yeah. domain. So you know, I, I'm, I'm calling it producer. This domain is use producer. Like I'm going to use this, and that's going to be a product um, leaning towards YouTubers, but then also eventually podcasters and other content creators, where it's a project management tool, basically. So, you know, Kevin, I'll probably reach out to you at some point after this, you know, a few months down the line when I have an MVP and I don't need more beta users. But you're trying to uh, create episodic content where you're doing the same thing over and over and over again. And, you know, you have your job and Anthony has his job and everybody has their jobs, right? And so you can have a team incorporated and it's kind of automatic. So you do your thing and then you know Sean gets notified that it's his turn to do his thing and he does it. He clicks complete and then it automatically tweets for you. And so then you don't have to go into Twitter and tweet because that's already finished as well. And then you go back and you check your, you know, you click whatever on YouTube and then it, it basically a nice all-encompassing project management tool. You know, I've found there's quite a few different tools based off the interviews I've done with mostly podcasters at this point. Um, and a few YouTubers, but on the YouTube side of it, especially there's less um, team coordinated things. It seems like a lot more podcasters are using more generic type tools like Notion um, versus uh, something that's specifically to podcasters. But yeah, yeah, that's that's what what we're using now. Notion. Um, Anthony made a a template. Was was, was yeah, really I mean, nice. My- my CEO is obsessed with uh, with Notion, so he he's constantly showing me all this cool. Like he's basically using it like Excel. He said everything's linked to everything else, which is which is kind of like nice. It, it does have benefits for that. Sounds scary. Um, but I just get frustrated with the UI. Yeah, no, it is scary as well. But <laughs> I get frustrated with the UI, and it's definitely like 
it's that tool, it's the hammer you talked about before. Um, it's, it's, it, Parker, it's the hammer. It, it does everything. Everything looks like a nail. It, it's good, but it's also not good. And, you know, I, I kind of miss Trello. I, I yearn for my Trello days. Yeah, I've used Notion some, and I agree. It's it's a very, very, very powerful hammer. And it's fun, but then it can get bogged yeah. down and it can get slow. And, you know, there's different yeah. issues with it too. Yeah. But I want to build I want to build a tool that's specific to the episodic content creators. Mm. Yeah. That makes sense. Sean, Sean how do you cuz you you're you have another podcast that you you do with uh, Randall Kennett, right? Yeah. And, and you and also a have a podcast. I, I do yeah. three. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So so how do, how do you organize your your podcast? Uh, with Randall I have a Google Doc where we just put um, ideas of of episodes. And it's it's important that it's short, so we try to plan the content, but then we don't try to plan it too much because then it becomes very scripted and artificial. So we mm-hmm. just try to make sure that we log down our ideas and then organize like the main points we want to hit. I think show notes is a is an important thing to to get right, at least for me when I listen to podcasts. So having them prepped and then just you know make it like an easy copy paste job uh, at the yeah. end is is pretty important to me. And that's about it. I, I, I mean, I, I, I do think I do think that. Supporting creative creative workflows for episodic content is, is is important, but I think my pain point is actually more around like once I've done something once, uh, I'll like tweet it out once, but then really not that many people will see it the first time. Like I actually need to break it up into chunks and share it again and again and again to to really spread it out over time and and, and maximize the value of the, the 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 time that I put in. So I, I've been looking at some tools to do that to do audio and video clips. Oh, like like short shorter ones. Yeah, yeah. So I, like, I even have like a tic- TikTok people. snippets. Yeah, thirty of, seconds. Like, even, yeah. even like ten second snippets of like just. I actually, you know, thought about that today. Yeah, like doing Instagram short short like stories or whatever. I don't know if there are many. Yeah, I've I've a little repo of this that that helps uh, where where I'm keeping notes on tools like um, Spext, Descript, Audio Mass, and then Otter.ai, Headliner.app. Wave.co, taptapes.com. Uh, these are all tools in, in this space that I'm exploring. I will definitely check out all those too. Yeah, I, I want to build things like that where, you know, the episode may be published, but the job isn't done for it yet. You still have to do follow one work or, you know, you want to tweet out a week later, two weeks later, a month later, three months later to be like, hey, check out this episode that I wrote. And having that audibly, as much as possible, automated. You know, obviously, sometimes if you want to do snippets that you needed to edit in, that might not be so automated. But having the tweet ready, you're having the you know Reddit post or whatever, I can automate in, uh, be as easy as possible. Would, would that be a sidekick job for you in in Rails? Yes. Is that yeah? Okay. It would just be a queued up job that would happen eventually. I, I like so, these. I like these things. I like these automation tools as as side project ideas because um, it's kind of like fire and forget and. The, the value is not tied to your time invested in it. And, and so, so I, 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 yeah, I, I am looking to get better at these things. I'm not using Sidekick, but I'm using uh, some other scheduling stuff. Yeah. So, so what is Sidekick? Sidekick is a Redis-based queue system for uh, Ruby. And since Rails is Ruby, it's just easy to throw Sidekick on there and say, hey, here's a job that's going to happen once a day. Or you incorporate into a cron task and then it'll just run in a background worker somewhere. So I also run a YouTube channel, which is this is the fulfill my own, you know, problem kind of thing. I've paused on it about two years ago, two and a half years ago, I think now, because I had a daughter who's taken up most of my time, but now she's getting at an age where she is largely self sufficient for a lot of things anyway. So I'm getting back into yeah, she's two, she can fend for herself, right? <laughs> yeah, totally. She's she's <laughs> fine. So my intent with use producer is, you know, I, I'm revisiting my old workflows for my YouTube channel and trying to figure out what was my personal pain points. But now that the you know the content creator economy is growing and has grown so much even since I've stepped away for a couple of years, I'm trying to get not just my own feedback, but get feedback from other creators. Yeah, I think this is a pretty good idea. There's several that work in different niches that I'm trying to blend and I think that's the thing. So I've played a lot around with the YouTube APIs, for example, and a lot of the stuff that I have enjoyed doing. This is not episode of content uh, part of my app, but the other part is just you know analysis 
of your content. And I've done a lot of research against, you know, my competitors, so to speak. You're just using the YouTube API. And I, I love checking out that kind of stuff. So I looked at who does that already in the space. And so there's um, TubeBuddy and vidIQ are the big two, but they're just Chrome extensions, like super big Chrome extensions that modify the YouTube channel, just the site itself. And so they're not like separate applications for managing, you know, the content itself. They're, they just allow you to automatically fill in, you know, tag list and other things for you. I think, I think, yeah, it's, it's difficult. It's difficult to build a tool, which is generic enough that everyone can use it, but also simple enough. Um, you know, flexibility is complexity and, before you know where you are, you end up with notions, exactly. right? This, this, it all, exactly. It's all very cyclic and goes back to the same thing, that if you make it too good, you're going to end up with something that really doesn't suit anyone. So I think, I don't know, I don't envy your task there in terms of in terms of merging all those weird niches. Yeah, that's why I really want to focus mostly on YouTubers to begin with and then make it well enough for the the episodic portion for podcasters. There's podcasting, I feel like has a lot more competition in terms of products that already exist. Yeah. So I assume you're going to build this in Svelte and SvelteKit? Yeah, I'm going to do SvelteKit. I keep on waiting for it to get published. So the landing page for your producer (laughs) (laughs) is is done in just Sapper because it was just easy for me to export it as a a single landing page with an email form. Pretty simple. Um, I want to jump back to Listen Addict real quick because yeah, I, sure. I didn't get to mention this before. Um, so talking about MVP and like exciting different things and waiting, uh, this is really cheesy. I don't know if you guys can have your computers up, but if you check out uh, Listen Addict on the desktop, not on your phone, I have Tailwind. I, I use I love Tailwind, and we could talk about that if you want or not. <laughs> um, but at the top, I have dark mode and light mode. And then if next to it, I have my little palette builder. So if you click that, it should do a nice little animation, which I just Ooh. had so much fun with uh, oh, spell making that. And so uh, that was yeah, fun. And it's very and satisfying. It's super satisfying. And I, it was so easy to do in Svelte. And I showed my wife and she's like, so when is this MVP launching? <laughs> and I'm like, well, 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 Svelte made me do this. Sorry. Um, yeah, right. So... Wait, so so you did, I mean, when, you when did theming in, in in Tailwind? That's that's a little bit hard to do. No, it's super super easy, and it, it's ridiculous. My my CSS is ridiculously small. I, I know some people just hate Tailwind, and I'm, we can go into that if you want. But for me, it was easy. <laughs> I think each of my files for my colors was 1.3 kilobytes, and then my total for the rest of the CSS was like three something or four something. Um, and that's per color, so 1.3 kilobytes per color, and that gets me light mode and dark mode. So it's pretty nice. And then you know, and the other thing is, of course, because y- you guys don't see this, I have built myself a moderator dashboard and, and an admin dashboard for Listen Addict, uh, with the intent that eventually I can um, pay some mechanical Turk people or something f- to help moderate uh, new content on Listen Addict and I have all the keyboard shortcuts and all these other things built in um, because Felt just made that so freaking easy. I it, it was ridiculous. I just so when I go and add new content on there, it, it takes me minutes because I'm just using keyboard shortcuts and all these other things that I've made that were so fast to do. So are you are you adding the content manually then? Yeah. Like, so how, be, how does be, the work? Um because not every podcast is interview based. And I want it to be hyper-focused on interviews. So I want to say that 90% of my content is interview-based podcasts. Um, and every given podcast, not generally, generally not 100% of the episodes are interviews. There may be something else here or there. So that's kind of the, the gist of it, is I am currently manually curating and trying to find... Um, wow! New, con- new content, That's and a it lot literally of work. it was up front, and it is still to find the original source. But once I find you know the, the podcast and its RSS feed, it's fairly simple. Um, I have a very very simple um, 
ng tagging uh, library that I use, plus uh, a little bit of uh, heuristics and algorithms that I've written to extract out people's names automatically. So I don't have to go in and add people. Uh, it'll pick up All right. as long as they're in the the, the title of the episode. I am at like a 95% hit rate and the other 5% is manual intervention. So that's what I would need moderators for. I think manual curation is a really good way to go. You know, we do a lot of things manually as well. And at some point you figure out what works and what doesn't work because you've done it manually and you've been involved there. Um, And then you can automate those tasks rather than trying to automate it up front and then, you know, do something that doesn't really work and then start tweaking code and wondering if it's bugs and stuff. Doing it manually is a very good, a very valid method, in fact, of, of, of MVP style stuff. So, yeah, definitely, it's a great idea. Get closer to your customers, I, and that's that's definitely so, the approach I've taken because I, I basically build out a few tools tools for myself as a moderator. But now it's at a point where a lot of that can be passed on to other people to do it manually uh, for cheap if I can, or taking some of that and automating it slowly. My the hard part, of course, as you said before, with the entrepreneurship thing and, and multiple products, is now eighty percent of my code time is going towards use producer. Um, Listen addict is more just for fun for me, and it's at a very stable position at this point. Uh, I may or may not try to monetize it. I don't think it's anything people will pay for, but I could throw ads on it. I guess it's not that important to me. It's very cheap to run, so I, I would much rather spend my time on a, using it on use producers so that way I can get that launched and actually try to make money and quit my job. <laughs> so so um, I have a suggestion on how to monetize this. Uh, and this sure, is something that, so I used to be uh, an equity analyst in a hedge fund and my job would be to follow uh, the CEO and CTOs and whatever of the public companies that I'm invested in. Um, but it's hard to keep track of the public interviews that they do, and increasingly more and more of them are doing podcasts. Um, so basically, I would want to give you a list of stock tickers um, to look up like their their C-suite, essentially. And if any of them do any podcasts, I want to know about it. Um, I want a transcript. And um, yeah, I, I want to email to me. So like, if you want like a B2B version of that where people will pay for it, probably that's that would be a, a path. Oh, interesting. I haven't not even thought of that. Everything I'm thinking is, you know, consumer-based stuff, so that's very interesting. Uh, yeah, B2B is where the money is. Everyone knows that, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> um, so, so, and actually, I have a further hypothesis, which is if you see someone, if you see like a CEO doing like a podcast tour, you know their company is doing well. So you should just buy the stock. <laughs> like like it, Cloudflare is that right sh- now, Michelle, Michelle Zatlin is doing every podcast. So you know Cloudflare is doing, just crushing it. Mm-hmm. Like um, they're, they're releasing their, uh, their quarter release in a couple of days, I think. <laughs> it, it's obvious. Like no one, if, if like your company is doing poorly, you're, you're not doing podcasts, right? So <laughs> is that true like, like now ju- with so many podcasts though? Or do people... Uh, I mean... I mean, it's it's obviously it's 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 a little bit tongue in cheek, and you should not take that as investment advice. <laughs> but there, there's a there's a bit of a theory, like Jeff Lawson uh, for the big public uh, companies, CEO though. Twilio. Oh shit, uh, Jeff Lawson, CEO of Twilio. Um, you know, wrote, launched the book, and now he's like doing a book tour. Twilio is obviously doing well. You know, like th- there's a there's a slight correlation, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, um, the the point is to make it easier for stock analysts to keep up to date on their companies. So right now you're focused on, you don't have a theme. Like I, there's like celebrities, there's like some people, I, I don't know what the, the theme of the people is, but if you could focus on on a monetizable niche of speakers, then that might work. Okay, cool. Yeah, to, to, to let you know, the theme is basically uh, software engineers, business people, entrepreneurs, and a little bit of celebrities, mostly for SEO juice. <laughs> But those are the people I generally want to know who uh, entrepreneurs and software people are generally who I want to. I personally want to get notified of certain people um, when they have a new podcast and like Adam Wathan of Tailwind or Rich, you know, sell things. It's like, okay, I want to hear. But the uh, to get high on Google, I want to bump it up with some celebrities. <laughs> This this getting high on Google. This reminds me of like like Sergey Brin's weekend. (laughs) (laughs) I I listened to an episode of uh, what's what's the podcast called? It's it's like Tiny Seed Tales or something like that. And uh, there was this guest who who'd made like a 
like happy birthday site for like a birthday birthday site for celebrities where people could look up celebrities and it was doing like massively well and scoring like top of google all of, all the time just for that's crazy yeah i it's it surprised <laughs> this is me why it, it surprised me but <laughs> I, it makes sense though and if you think about it like people search why I'm for always it. a tech the tech partner in, in, in startups, right? I'm never the, the business partner because I don't want anything anyone else wants and I can't think of things that people want. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was the same way before and I, I kind of, that's why I went to school. I ended up getting a double master's um, because I, I wanted to learn more on the entrepreneurship side as well as computer science because I just, I can live in tech all day and not, never do any marketing and then no one uses my stuff. But I, I wanted to try to get on that other side a little bit more. Yeah. It's a good, yeah, I mean, it's definitely a valuable skill. Absolutely valuable skill. It is. It is a lot of fun as well. I feel. So with Svelte, I'm going to ask you guys because you guys are a little bit more. I'm on the Discord channel. It's so hard to for me to plug into communities. Um, I think I'm mostly active on indie hackers and a little bit on Hacker News, but I'm in ten different Discord channels. I'm in ten different Slack channels. How do you guys choose your niche? I just curious. This is me interviewing you, but just in terms of getting plugged in, because I would I would love to eventually contribute to you know actually contribute to Svelte itself as a contributor, you know, on, on the development side, uh, or you know, same with like Flutter or whatever. Those would probably be the two that I'd prefer to be able to contribute to if I could ever take the time to do that and give back to the community beyond just building products and be, you know, raising developer awareness about these technologies. How do you guys plug in or do you just, you're all in on Svelte and that's easy just to focus there? I, I think it's hard. Like, like the, like the Svelte discord is probably the only discord that I am all in on, if that makes sense. I'm in a couple of others as well, like CSS Discord and like a like some cryptocurrency ones as well. Um, but I think, it, yeah, it's, it's hard. I think, yeah, I'm not, I'm not too different. Like the Svelte Discord is where I spend probably ninety percent of my uh, like eyesight. I've got a Discord for my company as well, and that gets ten percent of my attention. Right. But yeah. obviously, it's a lot less active, right? There's only seven users in there, and and uh, and Svelte is two thousand something. As to how I keep sort of aware of everything, it kind of comes up um, when a startup gets to a certain size that you have to learn about other things because you really have to pick the optimal solution. It's gone from building a hobby project in Svelte only and only focusing on Svelte to now I build it in Svelte because it is the best solution for everything I need. But I do need to be aware of how React tackles problems, how Vue tackles problems, how all these different builders like Webpack and Rollbar and tackle problems. So it, it will be mostly Twitter. I, I would say that, you know, Twitter is my, in terms of social media, it's purely tech. I don't follow many people that are outside of tech and I don't really see many tweets outside of tech, um, which is quite nice. I really value Twitter for that alone. I get all the updates. I get, you know, crazy stuff from people who are so far from what I do every day, but still in the tech space. That's That's kind of why I like Twitter, I guess. Um, but yeah, it is very difficult to keep up with everything and, and you really can't, I think you have to be a generalizing specialist, which kind of applies to many aspects of work and things, but, um, just keep a focus, but always be able to be distracted, you know, have other things in your periphery, I suppose that you can, you can see. Um, but you have to focus in order to become good at something, I think, and you have to kind of specialize in, in that thing. Yeah. It's hard, definitely. Like I, I think for me, Twitter is also the way I, I learn about stuff. But, and maybe I mean Hacker News as well. It's a good I one. Don't read that, and I probably should. <laughs> yeah, Hacker Hacker News is awesome. I, l- I love Hacker News. It, get, it's, it gets it gets about eighty percent of my attention. Hacker News does. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's really nice. So you get a you either get a balanced opinion there or you get sort of what people call it really bad names, right? They call it trash and stuff. It's kind of like it's a split mindset on, on what Hacker News actually is or what it what it brings. Yeah. Well, you'll have to be critical like with everything, right? 
Yeah, yeah, I suppose you do. <laughs> what about you, Sean? Um, Cause you are on top of everything. I, I dabble probably too much. Um, I actually I, I run my own Discord <laughs> for my book, uh, so you know, I, oh, I, I spend a lot of time I'm in there curating. Curating. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, I, I spend a lot of time curating. I guess information and, and uh, continuing updates for my community members. Um, I'm a little bit in the Svelte Discord as well. Um, I, I guess I, I, I do a lot of my learning through podcasts, so I listen to a lot of uh, what's going on and try to keep tabs. So I'm an ideal customer for <laughs> for Listen Addict because I am a listening addict. <laughs> um, but I'm also trying to, I guess, you know, I think there's 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 no end to how much you can consume, and you need to be more intentional about what you consume. And the best stuff um, you should try to consume repeatedly instead of, uh, you know, always looking for the new thing. Um, and I think to me, the, the Lindy effect is something I, I think a lot about, like things that have been around, things that have been relevant for a while will likely continue to be relevant. And your the sum total of your knowledge is basically the amount of still relevant things that are, are you know, in your head. Um, so I, I've been I've been building this thing I call Lindy Library, where it's basically things that have been things that are three years or older that are still relevant today, which I think will likely more be more relevant tomorrow. And I think I like that versus a lot of the ephemeral content that is being produced uh, today. I say, can I interject and ask what is your book about? Oh, uh, it's about uh, <laughs> it's it's career advice uh, for for people going from junior developer to senior developer. I think that's a kind of underserved market. Um, so, um, not anymore. Based, <laughs> yeah, it's just one book, and uh, I don't think I do a very good job of marketing it, to be honest. But it's it's doing fine. It's it was like basically my my most popular essay is is about this idea of learning in public, and so people really want more help on on how to do that. Um, so I, I have like writing advice, like applying to CFPs. Um, I also have like tech strategy advice. So like um, people, I think developers don't think enough about betting on technologies and uh, the business models of the companies that they work with. Um, so I just give some basic intuition about that in, in the book. We also study like career ladders. Uh, yeah, sorry. I don't, I don't mean to turn this into an ad, but like it's a, it's a big book. <laughs> that's, that's, very, that's very cool. Um, I definitely had a, a very difficult time in that transition when I was going from junior to more senior and senior. So that's yeah, good no to... one tells you this when you join the industry, you know, it's, it's weird. So you're just uh, supposed to know. You you pick it up. Like hopefully you land in a good company with good mentors, but a lot of people don't. So yeah, right. They they reach out. They, they're so. I feel sorry for them. They're like they're like yeah. I don't have anyone else to talk about this with. So I'm like all right. <laughs> I'll be your friend. <laughs> that, that sucks. <laughs> cool. All right. So let's. Uh, all right. Do you guys have any other questions for Parker before we go to unpopular opinions? I I'm good. I'm gonna I'm gonna ask him some more outside of the podcast actually when I think of them because it's interesting to me. Like I used to do a lot of this releasing small kind of projects um that I built myself, I guess, but yeah, the whole lack of marketing meant that they were just literally for me and, and no one else. And I think that I really like how, how Listen Addict's looking. I signed up earlier actually. I meant to mention and I'm really happy with it because I've got my own name which is something I didn't get on Clubhouse and I'm gutted about, absolutely gutted about. <laughs> I like to have my name on everything. And uh, yeah, so Listen Addict, I'm there. Anthony, you can follow me. You can... Uh, well, you can't follow other people yet. stuff I listen to, which... Soon. You add it. <laughs> I, need yeah. it. I, need to, I need followers. The nice thing is because I don't do a ton of marketing, it, it should be easy for everyone to get their own names right now. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I mean, you know, that's, that's how true. I got on Twitter, right? So... It can work. <laughs> but you know, you could be the next Twitter, who knows? All right. But yeah, so so I just yeah, that's that's it. I'm I'm done, I think. Happy. Let's go to unpopular opinions. Yeah, and, and you're the only one who has one this week, I think. I know. Shocking, shocking. Come on, people, we can do we can do do better. We can try harder. Yeah, let's let's, um, let's hear so it. So my, my my unpopular opinion is that I don't like the await, uh, like, what is it, an, an await thing in uh, in Svelte. The, the, like the template the view, tag? Oh, the template text the for template await? Tag. Yeah. Hmm. The, yeah, I don't like it. I don't like it. It should be removed. It should be deleted from the code base. Like uh, comments. You know, and then a major version. I only use it once like, in all of my like listen code, to be, to be honest. I end up just doing it most things in the, the script section. I think... 
I think you're doing the right thing. You're on the right path. The thing is, right, so the reason I dislike it so much is because, you know, I've always believed that we follow this pattern uh, where we try to separate view logic from from logic logic, right? View logic should just be rendering something in logic logic. They can sit within the view layer traditionally, right? Spelt is, is three things in one styling in HTML and code, but you should prepare the data and then iterate over it at max, because I can't see a way you can really avoid iterating over it. Um, but the await tag is is different. Like it really bucks that trend. You know, Svelte is a very simplistic language. It has very simplistic view um, directives like this. It has very simplistic view things. And the await tag is like an outlier for me. It's 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 doing too much. It's doing it in the wrong place. And you can await things happily in your code and then get the code ready and or get a message ready or whatever. Putting it in a template just feels wrong. Just, just really feels wrong. So, yeah, I just I don't want it there. <laughs> yeah, it's it's so it's it's you prefer to to handle like your data fetching outside of of the template tag, I suppose. I'm actually gonna in the ideal world, I'd build something and show it right, and the closer I can get to that, the better. Right. Yeah, I'm I'm actually like speaking of of like separating data data handling stuff um, I'm gonna record like a like a learn with Jason type thing but learn with Kevin next week with Luke <laughs> Luke about uh, like using custom stores or rather just derived stores to to do data handling so that's gonna be interesting yeah yeah absolutely I guess that's one way to, to solve that so Go when ahead. Anthony told me about this uh, await thing, I was actually very surprised. I was like, "Wait, what? This is in Svelte. That that must mean that it's blessed." Uh, and then and then I realized he was right. <laughs> uh, so actually, the whole impetus of the data fetching talk that I did on the Svelte Society uh, day, the, the first conference that we ever did for Svelte Society, uh, was explaining why and why not to use await or or like you know the alternatives to await. Including building a custom store, so I can refer people to that video. Uh, it's on the Svelte Society YouTube for that. I'd completely forgotten about that, but now that you yeah. mention it, it's, that was really it, nice. That one comment from Anthony actually motivated the whole talk, and then I was just like, okay, let's just see where this goes. And there, it turns out there's a lot of different ways to to do data fetching depending on what you want to do. Um, so, um, yeah, it's it's a it's a fascinating topic, and maybe we should take out a wait. I don't know, or put a caveat uh, in the docs. Yeah. I, I look forward to your talk on removing comments from your code base. No, no, that's, <laughs> that's just wrong. That's just that's just mistaken. I'm I'm ready for it. <laughs> um, I have a, I have an, un, an unpopular opinion to share. That's not mine. If uh, if you all want to go for it, do a comment on it. So Devin Govett, I thought I thought this was fire because uh, mm. he says uh, unpopular opinion. <laughs> ES modules was a bad idea. It has caused half a decade yeah. of churn in the JS ecosystem, broken almost every tool, caused maintenance nightmares for library authors, and for what? A different syntax? Common JS was fine. That was his. That was his unpopular opinion. <laughs> and keep in mind, he's the author of Parcel, um, so he knows. He writes a bundler. He knows about static analysis, and so he's arguing that like uh, the the typical response. So okay, me as someone relatively new to JavaScript. Um, I was just told that ES modules were better, and I just like just take it on faith. Like, this is a big thing that has been in the works, and like once uh, everything will be better once we migrate to ES modules. Uh, and then here's this guy that there's like, yeah, no, you know, we, we we could do a lot of the same exact same things uh, that we want to do with ES modules with Common JS, um, and and now we have just like years of just like, oh, you have to do like double transpiling or like. You know, and then and then your import systems are broken. Like every everything is just kind of like in a weird flux state that we maybe didn't need. Um, so I thought it was a very interesting, com uh, unpopular opinion, and I'll just um, send people there because there's a lot of discussion about this. Yeah, yeah, it's it's I I don't I don't know enough about these subjects to to really have an opinion. It just feels right to to do the the import syntax. Yeah, I, I have to agree. I don't know enough about ESM or, or anything else. Well, come on, JS, really. But I understand that, you know, EJS is better for tree shaking, which is definitely a benefit. I just don't know whether that's because somebody made EJS and then made it tree shakeable or whether there's a fundamental problem with common JS that you can't tree shake it. I just don't know which it is. I mean, so that's why that's why it's relevant to me that uh, it comes from someone who who write, who makes a bundler because he's like, 
he's basically saying he can do the exact same street shaking with Common JS. So we didn't need it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe I, I don't. I don't think Parcel prides itself on tree shaking specifically, though, right? Um, parcel prides itself on ease of use, no setup, just run it and you're bundled kind of thing. And so I think that I would probably, probably, you know, and I obviously massive bias, but I would, I would go with the kind of Rich Harris opinion of ESM everywhere and, and nothing else. And I, and again, I don't know if that's a, a fundamental thing in terms of how they, the, the two things work or whether it's just, um, you know, I, I, I don't know, but I would say that probably, I'm on the Rich Harris side of the argument for now, just because I think that the roll-up is focused on the smallest possible bundle size, and that's very much more appealing to me. So Parker, I have, what do you think? Do <laughs> I don't. I can't speak to it. Sorry. I'll. I'll. I'll listen to the talk or you know read anything about this though, because it sounds interesting. But to be honest, I I'm used to you know in Ruby land you have Ruby gems. You know you have it one way. Yeah, Python. You use you know everybody has their one way. So it's interesting. JavaScript is like so many ways so i can I mean, speak this, to it this but. is the python this is the python 3 2 to 3 conversion of javascript you know it's <laughs> it's just taken way too long it's so, te- causing so a 10 lot years of later 15 years later we'll be there <laughs> is, that what you're, is that what you're saying i mean it, yeah it probably is yeah Great. i mean pretty much that, to be honest. i mean i remember when npm came out it was at 2009 7 9 2009 yeah so i have the original email i found the original email in the google group 2009. Okay, so that's sorry. only what 12 years ago. So great. Now we have 15 more years of <laughs> catch up. Uh, oh I have God. a separate unpopular opinion. I'll, I'll throw out. Um, it's it's that generally speaking, you don't need the style tag um, within your Svelte files. Uh, 99% of my f- components do not, and that's specifically because I am using Tailwind. Um, I, I will throw this out there for people who are Tailwind haters, real quick. I know Java, or I know CSS better now than I've ever known it. Everyone seems to say this is it's the it's the thing for people who don't know CSS. It's actually the exact opposite. Every single class corresponds to one CSS thing. Whereas you know when I was using Bootstrap, I'd write an you know button, but I never had to inspect to see why it, why it looked nice. Now I know everything looks nice because I t- took the time to add that class. Um, and so basically none of my components have a style tag. The only one that really does is the audio player that I have because it's a custom audio player. Interesting. Yeah, I think I think actually um the Tailwind thing, somebody else who I, I have a lot of respect for actually, very, very good coder, um, who I thought would be totally against me at Tailwind really speaks highly of it. So what can I say? Yeah, I don't think it's for everything, knows? it's not for every project. I've never been but a- I, I, it'll be no. very hard pressed to pull me away from it. I mean, yeah. I'm I'm using it for the new Svelte Radio website that I'm currently having mm. issues with because I'm I can't figure out Svelte Kit because there's it's not really released <laughs> yet. My fault, I know. We, we make it intentionally difficult so yeah. that you know people don't use it. That's why that's <laughs> I should, why the producer is Sapper still. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I should probably. I mean, all my stuff Sapper still. I sh- I should probably convert it to to Sapper for now. Yeah. Just, just hold off for a bit. Yeah. And Sapper isn't dead, <laughs> right. by the way. Who, whoever thinks Sapper is dead, they're still making, you know, pushing things to get and GitHub. You yep. can see it. Yeah, so it's, absolutely. I'm not absolutely. worried about that. Yeah, we had last night. In fact, we had we had Ben on last episode, right? Where we we talked about Sapper and how it's specifically not dead. <laughs> so yeah, like we only really we only really wrote off Svelte too about you know a few a couple of weeks ago, to be honest. You know, we're at the point now. Just people need to upgrade, and you know, we've we've been supporting it long enough. But uh, yeah, there's got some good longevity in, in Svelte stuff, in yeah. Svelte land. So we've got time for uh, for a pick. Yes, yes, we do, we do. All right. So what, what's this uh, random pick you have for us this week, Anthony? Is it ever not a random pick? <clears throat> so my random pick is a can opener. Now, for those who can see the podcast, which is not the audience, sadly, it's a tiny little can opener. It's called an, uh, a Nogent, Nogent Super Kim. It's actually from France. Um, and, you know, can openers, there's all sorts of levels of crap for can openers. They're all rubbish. Um, you occasionally find a good one. And my, my favorite one to this point was a basic, cheapy supermarket, you know, uh, basic can opener. 
I found this on Amazon, this, this Notion Super Kim. It's expensive for a can opener, but this thing opens a can perfectly. So you stick it on the side, you start to turn, and it pulls itself into the rim. It then cuts the rim, but as it does, it, it sort of, what I can't remember the word is, but it makes little dents in it so it's not sharp. So when you pull that can lid out, it's not sharp, it's not going to cut you. You go around the can, it doesn't slip, it doesn't ever get hard to cut, it's very smooth action. When you finish, you just turn it the other way, just half a turn, and it will remove itself from the can and become, you know, in your hand. It's like magic. Sounds like magic, Because this yeah. thing is tiny. It is like magic. This thing is tiny. This thing is probably like, I don't know, three centimeters, like an inch and a bit square. You know, even cubed because of the handle and stuff. It's just, it's just great. So you're opening a lot of cans can because you have go, cats. You know, I know. You said you have cats. That's, <laughs> that's why you have a cat. Well, it's because no, we do. We don't feed them. We feed them pouch food actually. But um, but no, we we really like tuna. So we have a lot of tin tuna, <laughs> and it's just every time it pains me opening cans. Just we had this very pretty, very posh can opener, and it was just rubbish, and it got blunter and blunter. And you, it would lose the grip and then it would have to you put it back on. And once you've lost the grip in a can opener and you try and go with the same bit, it won't grip and it won't cut the notch. And then you've got a knife you're trying to stab the top off. So yeah, can, can opener is way more important than, than I thought it would be. But uh, I love this one. This is brilliant. So yeah, I'm happy with this. Yeah, we'll, we'll put it in the, in the show notes. <laughs> Stick it in the show yeah. notes. <laughs> Sean, do you have a, a pick today? Uh, <laughs> there's a... Uh... I, I I haven't. I, can you can you come back to me? I, I, need, I need to think of one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. So my my pick this week is the the Bitcoin Lightning Network. So I've been Ooh. I've been super interested in playing around with Bitcoin, and the Bitcoin Lightning Network makes all these these uh, like problems with with the amount of transactions per second go away. So so it's not really an issue anymore. Which is cool, and it's just it just feels awesome to like send money across the world in like seconds without anyone like telling you you can or can't do it. It's a cool feeling. This is the only way that Bitcoin becomes a reasonable currency is, is a Lightning Network. Oh, definitely, Kevin. I don't want to change the subject completely, but are you? And I'm not a shill, but are you familiar with Nano? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've, I've, I've heard about it. Okay. It, it, it to me seems infinitely better than anything Bitcoin can or will put out just because of no tech debt basically and how it was created to begin with in terms of being a currency yeah. versus a store of value, which I feel like Bitcoin yeah, is. Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think so. Yeah, but I, th- I think it's just like the network effect of Bitcoin that makes it the thing that's going to win, it if does. that makes sense. I don't know. I don't think it's going to win. I don't think anything's going think, to win. I think Bitcoin... I think Bitcoin is the React of cryptocurrency, right? That's there's an opinion for you. <laughs> All right, <laughs> let's let's uh, have, have this a uh, cryptocurrency discussion uh, another time. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I'm actually pretty proud that like we actually talk about it instead of like completely ignoring that it's it's a thing. I, we we talked about Bitcoin uh, like in May of last year, and uh, it clearly became a, a, a big topic. Um, oh, okay. So my pick is three js journey xyz. So it's by Bruno. Bruno Simon, um, who has his his personal site went pretty viral um, last year because it basically shows you the amazing things he can do with uh, 3JS. Um, and and now he's released a course that's only like I think it's like seventy nine bucks. Um, and he's he's just teaching you everything he knows. And it's really well designed. If you ever wanted to learn, like you know, if you ever get tired of rendering boxes on the screen, um, this is. <laughs> <laughs> and you want to go 3D? I think this is a, a great um, way to do it. All right, I have a pick, Parker. Do you have a? Do I have, have a pick, pick but yeah. I have I have one quick comment to that. I haven't seen that 3GS thing. I will check that out. Um, I'm going to do a plug before I do pick on my YouTube channel. I have. I think over a hundred WebGL videos, tutorials. So if you want to learn what 3JS is doing underneath, well, not actually rip apart 3JS, but in general, how does WebGL work? I have a lot of tutorials on how to do interesting 3D things. If you are going to build something cool. for real, I highly recommend 3JS rather than going full metal because it is a lot of work and overhead. Otherwise, there's a reason 3JS exists. Um, anyway, my pick. Uh, Somewhat thematically with Antony's was actually in the kitchen as well. I'm not going to go grab it. It's just we have an espresso machine. And since COVID has started, it is a saving grace. 
So just a few hundred bucks. I'm not, it's not a two or $3,000 crazy Italian one or something, but just having a nice espresso machine at home makes life so much better. Yeah, fair enough. Espresso is nice. All right. And uh, I think that's it. Um, thank you for joining us today and uh, talking about Listen Addict and all the other stuff we, we talked about. He's producer. And yeah, thanks for joining. Thanks. To really all the listeners, we'll uh, talk to you guys uh, in a couple of weeks again. Yeah. Thank you for Bye. having me. This is great. You guys are fun. See you soon. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, thanks. everyone. Bye. Take care. Bye. Bye.